The Life of General Belisarius, Gothic Resurgence in Italy, Part 3. On the return of Demetrius, almost alone, to Sicily, he found Maximus at length arrived with all of his forces, but distracted by a twofold apprehension of either encountering the enemy or suffering the displeasure of Justinian. To guard equally against these opposite grounds for fear, the trembling general resolved to fix his own station at Syracuse, and to dispatch his ships and soldiers to the relief of Naples, under the command of Demetrius and other officers. But the winter was not so far advanced that a naval expedition could no longer be undertaken with security. And sure enough, a furious tempest hit the Byzantine fleet off the coast of Naples, and by a singular fatality the wind drove the ships straight against the Gothic encampment. The imperial troops made no resistance, but the barbarians were not appeased by their ready submission and did not receive any as captives until they had gutted their animosity by hurling a great number into the sea. So few ships were enabled to weather the storm and escape to Sicily, but the strength of the Byzantine squadron was thoroughly broken by this second disaster. And Demetrius, less fortunate than any on former occasion, was among the prisoners. With a rope round his neck, by the order of Totila, he was dragged to the foot of the Neapolitan ramparts and commanded to announce his own ill fortune and to exhort the besieged to capitulate. But Demetrius spoke passively, the lesson his conqueror had enjoined, and the Neapolitans were still less strongly moved by his words than seeing in captivity before them the officer whom their chief hope of relief had been placed. They entered in the parleys with Totila, and it was agreed that the imperial troops should surrender the city and be honorably dismissed to Rome, if no auxiliary should arrive before the end of thirty days. To cut short these lingering expectations of relief, Totila offered to prolong this term from one month to three, and the garrison, dismayed at this apparent security and urged by famine, opened their gates immediately. This is A.D. 543. The terms of the capitulation were observed by the Gothic monarch with justice and even generosity. The imperial troops had embarked for Rome but withheld by contrary winds, so they received horses and provisions to make the journey by land, and officers were appointed to attend to them on their road and secure them against any insults or delay. Fearing least that the sudden and plentiful supply of food might prove fatal to the famished Neapolitans, Totila adopted the most humane and salutary precautions. Guards were stationed at the gates, none of the inhabitants were, admitted to, were permitted to leave the city, and a daily pit was allowed to them, with small at first and increasing by degrees, restored without oppression their exhausted strength. The greater part of the ramparts was afterwards leveled to the ground in order to deprive the Byzantines in the future of this convenient stronghold and to save the citizens from the calamities of another siege. Such was the policy pursued by Tortilla with respect to almost every fortress which fell into his power. On leaving Naples, the king divided his army, and having dispatched one share to form a siege of Oronto, marched with the other towards Rome. In a letter to the senators, he appealed to the memory of their paternal reign under Theodoric, and like all new monarchs, abounded in professions of his own. Nor were his efforts fruitless. Several senators, including their chief, Cescus, became secret partisans. His proclamations were found every morning affixed to the principal streets of Rome. In these he solemnly promised and even swore his forgiveness of all past injuries and modestly ascribed his victories, not to any prowess of his own, but to the general indignation which the tyrant of Rome had aroused. 
The imperial governors of the city, perplexed and angry at the publication of these manifestos, did not know who to accuse or punish, and only embittered the public discontent by exile of all the Arian priests in Rome. That these men were ill-wishers to the established Catholic government is sufficiently probable, but there are some enmities in which the wiser to bear them to repeal, impolitic measure, spread over Italy a number of zealous and active ringleaders who might else have assisted their party no further than by masses and prayers. The ulterior progress of Totila this year was checked by the havoc of the plague, of which was already, I've already talked about. Of course, this also averted the end of the Persian War, and it's now exerted its influence over Western Europe. In this quarter, it was not, however, a very long-lasting and after its cessation, the imperial prospects in Italy seemed more than ever cheerless, declining, and forlorn. The Byzantine Armada had been annihilated by forces of the Goths, or the storms, of the Mediterranean. All the open country was possessed by Totila. Public revenues were intercepted. Troops still maintaining some separate cities became every day more turbulent and ungovernable from their increasing arrears of pay. Under the dominion of an insolent soldiery, the Italian citizens endured rapacity and outrage in every form. Their household effects were plundered, their daily food was snatched from them, and their complaints were answered with blows. Accordingly, their dissatisfaction to the Byzantines and the wishes of the restoration of the Gothic monarchy grew more and more ardent and decided, especially when they observed the generous conduct and fair promises of Totila. In their letters to the emperor, the Byzantine generals did not disassemble their despondency. They gave up everything as lost and unanimously declared their utter inability to carry on the war. Embarrassed and dismayed by these reports, the emperor Justinian once more summoned Belisarius to the post of danger. This is in A.D. 544, but neglected to supply sufficient forces and even withheld his domestic guards. He was attended only by a handful of his veterans. Belisarius crossed Thrace, where by lavish donations he succeeded in mustering 4,000 youthful volunteers, and these he fought forthwith conducted to Salona. With such forces it was clearly impossible to meet the enemy in battle, or even to venture forth from the shelter of the fortresses. Belisarius therefore determined, after sailing around the Adriatic, to disembark at Ravenna. There he fixed with his first Italian headquarters and issued his orders to the governors of the inland cities. His earliest care, however, on arriving at Salona was the relief of Otranto, which the barbarians were closely blockading, and whose garrison was reduced to extremity by famine and disease. The general dispatched to its aid a squadron of his fleet with sufficient provisions for one year, as well as some troops commanded by Valentine. Their voyage was favorable by the winds, nor was there any time to lose, since the besieged had agreed to surrender should no supplies arrive before a stipulated period, and the Byzantine convoy came into sight only four days before the end of that term. Its arrival changed the aspect of affairs. The enfeebled garrison it was replaced by fresh and vigorous troops, New stores filled the public granaries and magazines, and the Goths, in despair, desisted from their enterprise. Thus successful, the Roman ships sailed for Salona, where Belisarius awaited their return to pursue his progress. At Pola, his next station, he remained some time employing in regulating the discordant materials of his little army and preparing it for immediate service. So we finally get Belisarius nearby. And next, we will be bringing him to Italy, and he will begin the reversal of the situation. Now, the sources for this, The Wars of Justinian by Procopius, Short History of Byzantium by Norwich, 
Byzantine Art of War by Decker, Byzantine Early Centuries by Norwich, and The Life of Belisarius by Mahome. So I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, don't forget to come by the website, summahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com, and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.